When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another episode of Max and Sam on the Until Saturday podcast feed. I am Max Olson. Today, the role of Sam Khan will be performed by David Ubbin. David, I'm a method actor, so yeah. You know, understudy doesn't feel like the right term. Is upper <laughs> study or overstudy? Is that a term? Is that a word? Let's make it one. I'm up for it. Uh, you Do you want to be upper I, or overstudy? I feel like I can. I can. Uh, say a bunch of Houston things and and talk about Texas high school football and um, okay just for continuity uh, can I call it. you Sam the whole episode or let's, should we go with, why not let's go with David okay. I can get a name tag and everything uh, I can grow some hair for a little bit we'll we'll go all out for this show but it's good to be here on uh, on Max and Sam <laughs> thank you for joining us today Sam is out sick today uh, so very appreciative David Ubbin for filling in. Uh, also, I need you to literally fill me in uh, because I went to a wedding over the weekend, uh, had a lot of bush light, had a lot of tequila shots, had very little college football in my life. Um, and so uh, it was it was a great time. It was a really great time. Last Saturday was a I'm, I'm told was a defining weekend of college football. Week seven will provide us uh, even more clarity. I can't wait to actually watch week seven with some huge <laughs> Pac-12 matchups. Uh, we have our, our good friend Bruce Feldman joining the show, uh, the show later on to preview Notre Dame, USC, Washington, Oregon, and more. And then we're also going to be joined by uh, Mike Kuchar, uh, the co-founder of XNO Labs, uh, leading research company for coaches, does a great job writing pieces for The Athletic. He's going to join us to break down the Washington offense under Kalen DeBoer and how their wideouts get so wide open. As always, be sure to follow the podcast on Apple and wherever you get your podcast. Drop us a five-star review and leave a question with your review. We will answer it on the show. Subscribe to Until Saturday on YouTube. Be sure to join uh, David and Ari every Thursday, Saturday, Sunday on YouTube throughout the season as we preview and react to the weekend's games and hear from you, the listener, on my favorite show on the feed, The Sunday Sound Off. Be sure to leave a voicemail. Highly encourage you to leave a voicemail. You can also text uh, to this phone number, 316-462-9852. Again, 316-462-9852. Leave a voicemail or a text on the Until Saturday phone line, especially after a game, especially if you're walking out of a stadium. We love getting those. I was sad we didn't hear from any Miami fans. I was waiting for the Miami voicemail because we've had some Iowa fans that have called us from games. They're probably just bored watching the game and leaving us a voicemail, but I was waiting for a Miami fan to stop in the middle of a voicemail and throw his phone against the wall and the, the line would just cut out. But we I, I, I want to see you guys just, you know, cold calling a bunch of 305 numbers, see if you can get a Miami. Yeah. <laughs> Luther Campbell, come on the show. <laughs> That's right. I would love to. I, I and, and if you're a fan who's sitting in a stadium on Saturday and it's the third quarter, fourth quarter, and you're a little bored, just call us. Just just check in. Get, send, in. send us your take. <laughs> we want to hear, hear you coming in live. Um, so yeah, be, be sure to leave a voicemail or text and, and also as always sign up for the until Saturday newsletter, we can get your daily fill of college football news right in your inbox before we welcome Bruce and Mike on the show, David, it's interesting on Sunday to see what the internet served me. Um, 
And certainly the first thing that served me in the morning was what happened with Miami. So I am aware of that. Like shout out to the internet for having a nice little minute 30 clip that showed me exactly what, what occurred there because the everyone (laughs) needed to understand what Miami. that was insane. And I feel like Mario Cristobal is skating for his, we don't kneel philosophy, which is so blatantly insane and Mm -hmm. so football guy ish that I can't even like, it's like, we don't do that here. And I'm like, I get the mentality thing, but also there's this thing called math in which, uh, your chances of fumbling in that situation are significantly higher than in any other situation because the guys aren't trying to tackle you. It doesn't matter if they tackle you. It's going to be six guys punching as hard as they can at the football, and all it takes is one connect, and you get KO'd. And, uh, well, I I don't want to say it's karma for killing the turnover chain, Max, but I'm just saying... You'd like to have the conversation. You'd like that that (laughs) conversation to be out there. Causation, correlation, I I don't know. I'm just saying if they had a turnover chain, these things might might happen, might not happen. So I I hope that there is a little bit of discourse, too, around the fact that I thought the slide by Christian Leary into the end zone was also really badass, and I know that that gets... It was close. It was, it was a little, it was Watching slightly around, risky. I was, like, I was like, are they going to look at that? Like, like, slightly I, risky. Me, me personally, it's, I would not do that, but hey. It's not quite the drop the ball at the goal line, but it's yeah. you know, it poorly <laughs> executed could be. Um, but I thought that was a fun way to cap it. And uh, so, yeah, I know of that play. I don't know anything else that happened in that game. It's just like there's just a whole – it's like part of my hard drive is just missing, and I just can't – I can't find it's these a lot files. of bad offense in the first half, Max. You didn't miss much. I have a couple quick hits for you. Yes. That – Things that I'm hoping you can explain to me like I'm five because I didn't Please. I didn't get to watch these games. Okay, uh, we can keep these real quick. Did Georgia finally look like number one? Yeah, uh, I said on Thursday's show that if Georgia was going to smack Kentucky, they were going to have to look like a Georgia team that we have not seen. And I believe Carson Beck completed his first like 11 passes for like mm. 150 yards and two or three touchdowns. Kentucky... They moved the ball a little bit, but just could not get stops. And when you can't get stops, and you also happen to be playing Georgia's defense, I don't know if you've seen Georgia, Max. Um, They're very good at football. And Mm. uh, if you can't get stops against them, it's a problem um, because it's very hard to score against them. (laughs) And we saw that. We saw a different Georgia team. This was not the team that scored three points in the first half against uh, South Carolina or what uh, trailed Auburn late. This was... This was big boss Georgia, and Kentucky caught the brunt of it, unfortunately. This is not a bit I'm doing. I've truly only seen box scores here, (laughs) so this is helpful. Okay, um, I listened to the Saturday and Sunday shows. What did Ohio State do that was so wrong? You guys talked a lot about Ohio State. Because Ari is mean to Ohio State. They just sort of stumbled around in the first half against a really good Maryland team, and I think that our listener is... Our, our our listener who called in was correct in that mm-hmm. Penn yeah. State was playing a very bad Northwestern team, and it was like 10-10 in the second quarter. I think maybe Penn State scored right before half to make it like seven. It was close, though. Maryland is pretty good. Like, Maryland is capable, if all the right things happen, of beating any of those three teams, theoretically, at the top of the Big Ten East. Um, and and they at just halftime, kinda, it, it felt that way. Like, at halftime, they I didn't were think they were. Kind of. I didn't think that they were really going to ever lose that game because I think they're just too talented. 
And there was never a situation where they're going to lose, but I think Ari just expects Ohio State to win every game 51-3. to And if they give up double digits and don't drop a 50-burger, he's like, what's wrong with this team? What's wrong? <laughs> they're never going to win another national championship. I, they're I not even having up, fun out there. What are I they doing? Br- I had to bring up to Ari. I'm like, Ari, I know you're highlighting all these Ohio State problems, but they were also a, what, 45-yard buzzer-beating field goal if it goes wrong for, mm-hmm. for Georgia, Ohio State's hoisting a national championship trophy so like let's not hit the panic button too hard here like they got yeah. a michigan problem but they're still pretty good so <laughs> okay that's basically that, it that too makes high sense. standards um i knew that there would be i knew the i knew what the oklahoma conversation would be coming out of the game just just yeah leading up to that did legendary texas, final drive did texas play well like did they just play bad yes. situational football so they went to the red zone three times got three points out of it you saw one of those that was a good play from Oklahoma. A Bowman hitting Jatavian Sanders. That's a forced interception. That That's was an amazing play. I saw That's that. That's a great play. And I saw um, the stop on Worthy on fourth down was really impressive, too. Yeah, yeah. the goal line stand was incredible. Yeah. Um, so Oklahoma stepped up there. The play calling was not fantastic down in the goal line, which has been a strength of Sark yeah. this year. Yeah. But I, didn't, I, I think Texas made enough mistakes where they should probably feel like they should have won that game. But Oklahoma yeah. you know, did enough to, yeah. to really feel like they would. I, I came away from thinking these are two really good teams and somebody had to lose. And I didn't come yeah. away from it thinking, Oh, Texas choked or Texas is a fraud or, you know, I just think Oklahoma is one of the six to eight best teams in the country that might go to the playoff. And Texas is probably around the same. So, okay. The uh, couple, a couple quick ones for you here. One thing about if you try to catch up on things on Twitter, you completely lose the content. You have no idea <laughs> yes. what people are talking about sometimes. Yes. So what did Jimbo do wrong? It wasn't. It was a. It was a general conservative approach, f- coupled with a disastrous second half in which they had a field goal blocked. They only managed three points. And I got to give a shout out to uh, Bud Elliott, who is a very good college football mind. Uh, he's really does really smart things. He tweeted, I believe it was in August, that he can't wait. For Jimbo to give over play calling and then end a drive on fourth and one on the plus forty four, and darn it, Max, if that if that exact scenario did not happen against our freaking Bama, yeah, yeah, <laughs> as much as we saw Sark and Venables just laying it out there, coaching to win this ball game, we did not see that from Jimbo. I, I think Jimbo coached timid and. Didn't want to put the game on his front foot, and that can cost you against Alabama. That was a game that I don't know that you can say, considering how poorly they played in the second half, that AM should have won that game, but they could have. Last one. Arizona didn't go for two in the first overtime? It's an epidemic, Max. Especially with the, like, not I, only I this. I wrote the story. I wrote the story on this on the book that these guys have on the sideline. Believe me, the book is not telling them <laughs> to kick the extra point. Here's the best The analytics part. do not say kick. This is the best part, Max, that people did not talk about from the Arizona game. In the second overtime, after not going for two, Mm. Arizona scores. Do you know what Jed Fish did? Oh, no. What did he do? He sent out his kick team, and they had to call timeouts because you can't kick it. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. We don't need to call up the coaching salaries, but, man. Well, thank you, David. I learned a lot, and yet there is still so much I do not know. Let's get to our conversation with the GOAT, Bruce Feldman. And Bruce, before we get into the big games here, um, 
you're talking to two people that obviously have always had a crush on you. It found, sounds like you have found a third person that has a crush on you. What's going on with this sign at Big Noon Kickoff? I have no idea. You know, like, <laughs> so here's what happened. So I go out there before the start of the show. I'm wired up. I'm inside. Everybody else is outside. Our whole group is, you know, outside the stadium. There's a ton of people there. And so I do my hit and then I'm going to go try to talk to some people on the field. And I glanced down, I got a text from our colleague, Nicole Auerbach. It just said, this is great exclamation point. And I was like, oh, I'll check that later. I don't know what that is. And then I start talking to people. It's about an hour. And then I kind of glance back down. I'm like, man, I got 19 messages, including like <laughs> one from like one of my childhood buddies who I haven't talked to in probably two years. And I was like, oh, maybe he watched the show or whatever. And then first quarter was competitive stayed out there, went inside our green room to get something to eat. And one of my colleagues at Big Noon goes, hey, they ran that sign like five times during the show. I'm like, what sign? And then I looked at the messages and I'm like, oh man, here we go. Um, So I don't know, like, let's be honest. I mean, I worked with Brady Quinn for like six years and Mm. all this time I thought all the women were for him who Mm. knew they were actually for me. Congrats, Bruce. That's good. That's good. <laughs> well, honor. Now, my my podcast, The Audible, has actually got two two uh, crushworthy men on it. We love to see it. We love to see. Some it. would say that. Some would say that. Some would say that. Yeah, that would be somebody who's probably married to Stu. But that would be <laughs> well, well, Bruce, let's uh, let's dig into one of the most anticipated uh, games of the season. Um, cer- a game that certainly. CFP, Pac-12 implications, it's got everything. What are you watching for this weekend in Oregon, Washington? Uh, you know, for me, I want to see who, which of the quarterbacks plays the clean game. Like, Michael Penix has put up spectacular numbers for the last two years. Um, when they played UCLA, it was that Friday night game. And UCLA, I think people didn't really know what to make of them. You know, DR, DTR was obviously super streaky. But Penix had a couple of turnovers, and they that actually just got behind because that was about the only way they were getting slowed down. Um, you know, his his TD interception rate ratio is remarkable at Washington. It's not Caleb esque, but that's the bar right now, right? Those guys are playing sky high. I think, and we'll find out this. I think Oregon has the better personnel on defense. I feel like Washington has the more explosive offense. Um, I can't wait to see this. Is I mean, because I think both are legit playoff caliber teams, you know, but who knows? I mean, it's not like Washington's competition has been great. Like they played Arizona and Arizona was pretty good and Arizona hung with them. They played Michigan State at the time, which was just the dumpster fire of all dumpster fires at the time. So I don't know how much you could read into it. Sure. But, you know, you got two guys who have reinvented themselves in the Pac-12. You know, it's been pretty awesome because it's like, it's a little bit the inverse of Jaden Daniels, who mm-hmm. who's reinvented himself in the SEC. So um, it's I can't wait. Bruce, we're going to talk to uh, our, our colleague Mike Kuchar about Washington's offense a little bit later. But I feel like you know we've done we do our Heisman straw poll, and I hope none of the Heisman Trust is listening. But like Bo Nix has been on my ballot consistently, but he's like sort of. We've seen him kind of drip, drip, drop off of people's off of people's ballots, and I'm like, he didn't do anything. Like, mm-hmm. no disrespect to Brock Bowers, but when you look at Oregon's offense, I feel like they've got an opportunity if they have a huge game and win this game that he's sort of back on the front. What do you make of of, of Oregon's offense in this ball game, and, and what have you seen from them this it's, season? It's like Bo Nix Awareness Month, right? Right, Evan? Yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, a little bit. I feel like I'm, I'm like I haven't seen anything to take him off of there. Maybe I, maybe I'm biased. I saw him in person and and love what I saw. But the dude, the dude can play. No, no doubt. I mean, it's been you know there were moments where I remember he was the five star guy, you know, at Auburn and played early and and had some moments. But then there was a lot of other stuff that wasn't you know I don't think it was all him. But mm-hmm. um, I think the hard part, and I'm glad you brought up the Heisman straw poll. You know, like Caleb by default, even when last week, you know, the first half wasn't very good from him, but he's always so spectacular. Um, we have so many quarterbacks, you know, Penick's numbers are are remarkable. He's played at such a high level. Um, and it's, I don't want to say we take Bo Nix for granted a little bit, because I don't think, you know, last year was Kenny Dillingham, this year it's Will Stein and Junior Adams. And I feel like they have, you know, been, you know, really efficient and really mm-hmm. remarkable. He's so good at extending plays. You know, I still remember that, you know, he bailed Auburn would have been so much worse without him, you know, at that point with what he could do. Um, But I think because he's where he is, because Caleb sucks the oxygen out of all the Pac-12, you know, I, I think this could be a coming out party for him, which is weird to say because he had that game that was, I feel like, and David, you could correct me on this because you were physically there and you've been around it a lot. But I feel like for a lot of people, that game was more about, oh, look what happened to Colorado as opposed yeah. to mm. how great Oregon actually is. And, you know, I don't think that's going to be the case this weekend. I think we're going to, this is a prove it Saturday. It doesn't mean whoever loses is out of the playoff mix, but I feel like whoever wins is probably going to jump in the front of the Heisman race, mm-hmm. you know, I just, I just think that's the way it's going to be because people are going to read a lot more into this. Cause they're probably going to have to be pretty spectacular to do it. Cause I just don't think this game, you know, Dan Lanning's defensive pedigree aside, I don't think this game is going to be one 16 to nine. It's not going to feel like an Iowa game. Yeah. Well, let's hope not. <laughs> oh my <laughs> no, God. Please. I don't want anything to feel like an Iowa game. I do have a dentist appointment um, next week. Um, and I think that that might feel like an Iowa game. But. <laughs> I've got one this week too. I think that will that will feel like an Iowa game. Bruce, you, you know, I, I was looking back on the box score from from last year's game, and and it's what you remember. You know, eleven hundred total yards between the two of them, right? But it's easy to forget because they, Washington's been so good under Kalen DeBoer. Washington was number twenty five going into that game. That was a real prove it game for them to go win in Autzen. And do, do you feel like it's a little bit flipped in some way this year for Oregon, where we, we've all been having the conversation for a month now about Washington looks like one of the best teams in the country. Like, let's put some respect on Washington. And like you said, it sort of feels like Oregon might actually be the best team in the Pac-12. And this is probably the week to find out about that. Yeah, I think first for a lot of people, because, you know, they got a feel for Dan Lanning, not just in the, in the Colorado game, but in the video after it, you know, because like, as you guys well know, when you're a coordinator, especially if you're not a guy who was a head coach and like, like a Will Muschamp who came back or, you know, Bobo, like if you're a coordinator at Georgia, you probably, people don't know much about you. They may, mm-hmm. if you're a diehard, you know, Seth Emerson fans and read Georgia all the time, but you just don't know much about Dan Lanning probably nationally. And mm-hmm. so people got a, got a good, you know, somewhat of a feel for him you know, with the post locker room comment video that came out and certainly even some of his comments after, which I, I, you know, again, I thought there was, there was a, there was a lot of good there in it. Um, whereas Kalen DeBoer 
has a remarkable record. One of one of one national titles at the NAI level was a really good Big Ten coordinator, at, you know, at Indiana. Then went to did well at Fresno, and then had this remarkable first year. I feel like this is a first chance for the national audience to go. Wait, who is that guy? We don't yeah. even know how to his last name. Right. <laughs> oh, like I mean, I think all three of us were at the uh, coaches convention last year in San Antonio, right? And mm-hmm. um. There's about nine different stories that could come out of this, but I'm just going to focus on this. So that, <laughs> that, that uh, let's do, let's, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so that, that coach's meeting that was in the corner where, you know, it was all kinds of stuff going on. I just remember going to that, you know, afterwards, we were all kind of huddled around. I was like, all right, I got to get some FaceTime with Kalen DeBoer here just because I, I text with him, but I just not around him. Yeah. And it, it's like somebody at, you remember at that point, um, he had been on the job. I don't know how long, maybe a month or something, yeah. but, but, and he, you know, he had an amazing first year there and it hasn't stopped at all. Um, you know, I know from working with Chris Peterson, how much respect he has for Kalen DeBoer, but they are down, they are, you know, Seattle's obviously a big city that the program's won a national title. It's had success, but I just feel like the rest of the country, this is a chance for people to go, Oh, okay. That's who that guy is. I think like, you know, you look at Lance Leipold, you look at uh, Jamie Chadwell, you look at Kalen DeBoer. I, I think one, I, somebody on our staff wrote about this recently. It might have been you, Bruce. Maybe it was two. I can't remember. But I feel like there is a, a market inefficiency in bringing not just the FCS coaches, but like the lower level coaches. There's some really good football coaches coaching lower levels. Chris Kleiman. That, yeah, Chris Kleiman coming up. Like, I, I feel like there is, if you're an AD, you know, you might want to sniff around. I mean, even Mike Yersich came up through that. I, I, I there's if you're an AD, I, I would be very curious to maybe if, if, pay if the a public defense is this guy has won a, a ton of games in his career. Like yes. that's probably a good starting point in yeah, the making the hire. I think especially now, like there's always these concerns about recruiting and like, well, he's never recruited in the snake pit of whatever league or whatever this. It's yeah, like all okay. the systems have never coached in the SEC, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, but it's like there. As everybody wants to talk, wants to talk about, well, being a head coach is more like being a CEO than being a football coach. And it's like, well, he seems like he's pretty good at running an operation. Um, I, I feel like DeBoer is one another guy that I think will expose that a little bit. Yeah. In full disclosure, I actually think the person who wrote that the story in question might have been Stu. I think it was – yeah, I think it was. It was somebody on our staff. I remember it recently. sounded like something <laughs> stupid. Yeah, we probably <laughs> should. <laughs> it was a couple um, of years ago. Do you want to just like get an applause going for Stu on that one? <laughs> yeah. Is that what you're looking for, Bruce? So, but look, Brian Kelly was at Grand Valley State. And yeah. what's, what's crazy is on the Brian Kelly thing, I have a cousin. And she, I believe, was Brian Kelly's first All-American he ever had. Because he was like coaching like women's softball and field hockey, I think, at like St. Anselm's in New England. You know, like this is like that is another guy who people may forget this because, you know, he's been at Notre Dame, it was at Notre Dame for so long. But like there are guys like that. Even Jake Dickert, I know this is his first head coaching job, but Jake Dickert, when I talked to him last year, I've coached at every level of football. And you, you know, you get an interesting perspective on it right like anybody i feel like who's been around jamie chadwell is like oh yeah that guy could coach anywhere because you couldn't i thought tennessee should have hired him personally <laughs> I, I don't disagree i mean look yeah. they're not as good with him like coastal carolina is not looking as good right now like mm-hmm. but i know you know again i don't want to come back too much to that you know the san antonio meeting but i remember jamie chadwell does not feel like a small time guy when no. you're, you see his presence and his personality and, and that 
Um, you know, they're all different, di wired differently, but they're all kind of, you know, Lance Leipold, man, like, you know, he, he was, he made a, he made it hard on Vandy to not hire him. Yeah. I know in the interview process and they went obviously with a guy who's from, you know, who had played there and, and, you know, came from Notre Dame and it was just fit them very well. It was hard for them to go. No, but I know that when you look at what Lance Leipold did and what he's done at Kansas, especially, you know, you guys have both been around what that place em was emphasis like. added. Yep. Black mm -hmm. hole, black hole. <laughs> yeah. As bad as it could be. Right. And getting it after like who he got it after, you know, it was, I don't know if it was Beatty esque because like Beatty followed Charlie Weiss, but you know, and in the junior college run, yeah, it was yeah, like the, the, the Les Miles tenure was mm -hmm. not not a successful tenure at Kansas. We'll call it forgettable for everyone that was not at Kansas. <laughs> How about that? I don't even know if you could say it was forgettable wouldn't be the word because it was like there was a lot of stuff that was eerily memorable. Um <laughs> super awkward. Like there have been bad coaches who were forgettable, but they were like they go away and it just like, you know, so but back on, you know, back on DeBoer and the, and these guys who come out of seemingly nowhere. Um, I do think there's, there's a good lesson to that because they have a plan, they know what they're doing and they hit the ground running and they're really confident. And in the case of DeBoer, I got to spend time with him, um, in April when I went up there, mm -hmm. like his guys, like Ryan Grubb, Nick Saban wanted to hire Ryan Grubb to be his offensive coordinator. You know, a lot of those guys were with him when they were at an NAIA school and, you know, one guy might have been teaching, like one guy might have been working at the local, the local police department, you know, like it was just, hey, we got to do way more with less because we don't have this bloated staff of, of 84 people, you know, doing every little detail thing. Yeah, 100 percent. Bruce, you're, you're going on the road this weekend. Big noon kickoff is going to South Bend for USC yeah. Notre Dame, a game yeah. that looked so sexy a week ago, <laughs> but it's still it going to be really good. Still going to be very, very it's good. It's going to be a good football game. It's going to be at about eight forty uh, Pacific or Eastern time. It was not looking sexy at all when they were down <laughs> seventeen to nothing. <laughs> um, but I'm excited about this. I'm excited for this yeah. for um, a couple of reasons. Like it's been a long time since I've been at Notre Dame for a big game. It's a USC rivalry game. is obviously big. Um, Selfishly, like I get to go to Notre Dame with Brady, and Brady is like royalty there. And mm -hmm. there will be signs for Brady in the crowd this week. Safe bet. Such signs as me, to be honest. So we'll well, don't tell yourself short, Bruce. We'll see. <laughs> the Bruce don't. Hive is coming. You know, it's growing. <laughs> I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't bet the over on that one. Anyway. Um, but just to be around that, it's like, like I'm excited about that, and I'm excited for the atmosphere of the game. I mean, look, I've done a bunch of games in Seattle and that's going to be awesome. Like I can, you know, I mean, I, that, that is an awesome scene that's going to happen. Um, but I'm interested to see what happens. This is like week four in a row of Notre Dame running a gauntlet of sorts. And obviously they, they took a body punch last week, you know, at Louisville, mm -hmm. but then it's USC, which is just looked USC feels a little bit like post-national title Jameis, where it's like they're kind of sputtering, but finding yeah. a way to survive it. And you just know that like, they're also doing that thing, which never used to happen, but started happening with Florida state where like they're, they're st still undefeated, but they're starting to stumble down the, the rankings in any way. Yeah. Uh, 
So. Sometimes I, I watch them and it's like kind of like the Kansas City Chiefs sometimes where it's like they're, they're so good. They know that they, they think they're, you know, they know they're a playoff team. So they kind of just get a little bored sometimes. I, sometimes I wonder if it's that with USC. And sometimes I wonder if it's like we legitimately can't can't stop people. I think something that happens like we did. a My crew did a bunch of OU games like when Grinch first got there mm-hmm. and they were horrible on defense. And then even the second year. And what I remembered a lot was the mentality of. They give up a big play. They may be up 17 points, but they give up a big play. And it's like, oh, God, here it comes again. Mm-hmm. And I remember him talking about how they had to get people out of that. And what it seems like a lot now is they still, you know, USC, I feel like it's the secondary that is really the, the most glaring thing. Look, last year, I felt like they were really linebackers were under man. They couldn't tackle. They just... Um, and it wasn't like they were, they were good any place else, but like, you know, they would have some negative plays cause they had Thule who was, you know, a difference maker. Right. And they, they got some turnovers. Right. Um, they Thule and Bullock. They had a couple guys that could make some plays. Yeah. yeah. And then they, but they wore down, especially in the second half of the season, late in games, physically, they weren't ready. And I feel like they, I do think they are better than they were last year, but they were so bad last year. Right. I think it's the question is, did you go from like 121st in defense to like 75th? Yeah, that's better, but that's not going, you know, that's going to at best get you to be a top 15 team. Like, yeah, I was surprised. I'll plug the stop, stop rate uh, manifesto. Like it was, they were 30th last week, correct? They were. Yeah. Look at the Trojans. Where, but look at them now. Where are they now? <laughs> Let's pull up the stop rate. What would what would you guys guess? Forty fourth. I would guess forty second. This is compelling. This Please is compelling podcasting. <laughs> he doesn't know off the top of his head. We'll, we'll let the listener shout out this what is, they think the answer is, is called, while I search this for. This is it. called a this is called a pregnant pause. And uh, uh, when I was reporting, I was told to let that baby be born. So Max. <laughs> Will you step into the delivery room and give us these Okay, results? the Trojans are now 59th in stop rate. That That's is a against, big drop in one week. It's yeah. a big drop. Um however, for just for context, if you want if you want to go glass half full, they are right next to Oregon State and Washington State in the stop mm-hmm. rate standings. Bruce, I think like I might this might be just me cuz my so my first ex, my first exposure to Alex Grinch was when he was at Washington State with Hercules Mata'afa. Um, with Mike Leach, and they had a really, really good defense, and with that was with significantly less talent than he has at USC. And I generally subscribe to the theory that there are some big picture issues with how they practice, how much contact there is, and some of the tackling issues. And that's not to say there haven't been busts. And I think there's some mentality issues. And I was talking to our USC beat writer Antonio Morales. He feels like, you know, issues like when it when it gets a problem on defense, they sort of snowball. Like you look at that first half against Colorado, they were pretty good in that first half defensively. And then it kind of falls apart and then everything falls apart and things get worse and things get worse. I don't want to call myself an Alex Grinch apologist, but I might be one of the few people who isn't ready to like set him on fire. I feel like in a lot of, in a lot of ways, what do you make of where he's at? I feel like the, to me, it seems like a program wide structural issue more than a Alex Grinch issue. But maybe I'm off. Where do you stand on where this? Well, is? David, I'm in line with you because I I know how bad Washington State was when Grinch got there, mm-hmm. and they were really disruptive. Like Mata Afa was like 50 pounds undersized. He was just super disruptive. <laughs> it's like a 240 right? pound edge rusher that was like 
Oh, they playing like nose tackle. It was yeah. crazy. And, um, you know, they had Shalom Luani, who was a junior college safety, who was a really good player for them. And they had speed and they were just confused people and they got after people. And what I think was different about that group was they played with a chip on their shoulder. Like the last two defenses he's inherited, because I I think what you said is act exactly right with with USC it's like oh man here we go there's a default and I did this long story on talking to all these air raid guys about what it's like to be an air raid defensive yeah, coordinator great piece on the athletic mm-hmm. and so but uh, you know how much of this is on the head coach who runs everything I remember talking to Bob Stoops for the piece and he was like because he hired Leach to be the offense coordinator he goes you gotta remember I was the boss you know and when he hired Lincoln he was the boss and so, and Bob's a defensive guy. Didn't mean Bob wasn't going to let him do his thing, but Bob was also going to practice a certain way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the hard part. Like you hear bits and pieces, like in that story, I remember talking and we all know a lot of these area defensive guys and they, they're great, usually great storytellers because they're like, they've had to drink out of the fire hose because they're, you know, when they were at Houston, all of a sudden it was like, or went to Texas Tech and and God bless David Gibbs, you know, like he could write <laughs> a book on this. He's because, been through it. Yeah. Started it at like, the bottom at Texas yeah, Tech. It was like they had 17 touchdowns. The ball didn't touch the ground. We couldn't even get lined up in practice. What are we doing? You know, it's like <laughs> there were guys on that staff who were like, oh my God, you know, and I look to Lincoln's credit. Lincoln wants to run the football, right? He was with Bedenbow and they, they have a good counter game and you know, he's been able to run the ball. I, I think the part that, you know, was challenging is in that same game you were at, David, like, are they managing it to like win the game and mitigate and like, hey, let's, you know, do we need to snap the ball with 12 seconds left here? Do we, can we like run down some more clock? Um, you know, and again, I, I think an offense is going to want to do like everything, like the air raid attack mentality. I mean, look, it's, I've heard so much of it. I see it in myself as I coach a youth team where it's like, we need reps. We need to go, 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 go. And you're just kind of like the hamster on the wheel so much. And it's not to say you can't win a national title that way. But I think, you know, like I had said to Stu at one point, who do you think is a good defensive coordinator? Like we, you know, we all think Phil Parker is a really good defensive coordinator. Statistically, he's a great defensive coordinator. Um, but he's not co- the, he's not the defense coordinator on an air raid team. Like we know how bad the perception is of what they're doing on offense, and so but they are that, serving the defense in their approach. Yes, and I remember our colleague Scott Doctorman. We had an offsite two years ago, and one of the things he talked about, where he was like on a panel, and it just came out. I remember talking about complimentary football, and complimentary football is usually something that the fans are not going to want to watch, right? Like that's a, a kind of a euphemism for that. But I do think there's something where, um, like a, a month ago, after Miami, you know, lights up Texas A&M, I do a story on Shannon Dawson, and it's like, you know, like, it is aggressive. We are putting our fist down, and we are, you know, whatever. I'm on a plane coming back, and all of a sudden, I'm, like, trying to follow this game on stats broadcast. I'm like, wait, what happened? And I think there is some kind of the mindset where it kind of blurs together a little bit where it's like, Hey, we're going, we're going, we got to do this. We got to do this. We got to do this. And sometimes it backfires. Bruce, do you think that maybe it's too early to have this conversation 
And look, if, if Notre Dame were to upset USC, it doesn't really change anything for USC necessarily in terms of the outcome of the season, right? They can still get where they want to get to. But do you are you more inclined to think that USC's defensive issue is they need better personnel? A, is it B, they just need more time to develop what they've got? Or is it C, maybe they need a different leader for it? I think it's I think it's B because okay. some of the guys they've gotten like on recruiting paper and again this they were bad when Clay Helton was there you know on defense and they had high some high ranked guys especially relative to they weren't in the SEC they were in the Pac-12 you know mm-hmm. like you know David you covered Tennessee they could have like the 11th ranked recruiting class but it could be 8th in the SEC you know and that's who you're playing against good luck yeah. you know the thing but I think I feel like their biggest issue right now is in the secondary. And I think some of those guys are young. Um, I think, I think what it comes down to is you have a lot of guys who are not playing with much confidence. I do wonder this, that who are they going up against every day in practice? They're going up against Caleb. You know, if Zachariah branch is healthy, they're going up against him. They're going up against Brendan rice. They're going up against, you know, like, Relique Brown can't even get on the field. And I'm guessing if Relique Brown was, was at Oklahoma, he'd probably have like 2000 total yards or something, you know, like I, I think, um, I, I wonder how much these guys, and I'm not at practice. I like in the Pete Carroll days, I would go out to USC all the time. I'm not, I'm not out there right now, but I do wonder how much the defense is kind of reeling because like, you know, they're going up against Caleb and they're going up against that offense. And, you know, they're the field is tilted that way. I don't know. That's that that's my hunch on it. Fair, fair. I want to two two last things from you. I, I want to get your take. You just saw Ohio State live. Do you trust Ohio State or I guess what what is your your sense of where they're at after uh, seeing them play Maryland? Um, it, I was a little underwhelmed to be honest. They didn't get their first offensive touchdown until midway through the third quarter. It didn't feel like what I've come to get used to Ohio state. Look, I think McCord's going to be good. I mean, it's a drop off because CJ Stroud, I thought was a great college quarterback. And I think he'll be a really good NFL quarterback. Um, you know, they, Marvin Harrison jr. Can is, is terrific. You know, they have other really good receivers, have a really good tight end. Their offensive line is a major work in progress right now. And they could not get much push running the football. Like, to be honest, like, Leah had missed a big throw in, in the red zone from, like, the five-yard line where they had to settle for a field goal. And then there was, like, you know, they didn't manage the clock great. It wasn't, like, a great showing by him. Um, I felt like they should have been up you know, maybe by at least 10 going into the half. And instead they were letting Ohio state hang around. And then you kind of got an explosion in the second half, which can happen. I mean, I do think they're better on defense than they were last year. A big part of it, I think is they're much better at corner than they were. Now they have three. Mm -hmm. I did the portal 100 and they got a really good, you know, transfer out of Ole Miss. And and I think some of those other guys have elevated. Sonny Styles is coming on. He is a, freaky freaky big safety and so i think in the secondary they're better than they've been in a few years which helps you know i i think they're pretty good on defense i don't think that's like you know tommy eichenberg's really solid they got dudes in the d line i think all that is good i just don't know if you can't run the ball very well um can you beat michigan at michigan 
I don't, I don't know. I mean, like CJ is not the quarterback now. It's not saying McCord couldn't, couldn't light up the, the Michigan secondary. I don't know how well they'll protect if, if they feels like they're really one dimensional. I mean, I don't even want to count out the Penn state game because um, that game was tight. And then JT took it over in like the last half of the fourth quarter, you know, and, Again, we haven't, you know, we're still figuring out Penn State, but I'm giving you a long answer to be like, ah, I didn't come away <laughs> super fired up about Ohio State from what I saw. I think when I look at it, I haven't, compared to what we've seen with Michigan on the line of scrimmage and what we've seen holistically from Ohio State, who's obviously played a much tougher schedule, I haven't seen a lot to make me think that the game is going to play out much differently this year. That's kind of my read on it. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's that's what I've seen so far. Are you guys are you guys have a have a sense of Penn State? Like I mean, that's you know, kind like of. I think we have all three of those games. It's gonna be a lot of I I think that's a really compelling matchup. It is I think they're just I think it's one of those things where to me you see Penn State, I think they're slightly worse than both of those teams, and they're gonna need not everything to go right but more stuff to go right than to go wrong. Yeah. And if you can get a split, you're loving life. Right. Um, and then you just see how the chips fall at the end. Maybe you end up in Indy. Maybe you don't. If you got one loss and you're 11 and one and you don't go to Indy, you're sort of making doe eyes at the committee and hoping for the best. Um, but that's, you know, you're at, you're at this point in time. Why wouldn't we think Penn state could go four quarters of the Ohio state though? You know, I think they can, but it's just a matter of getting over the hump. I think the fact that they, yeah, rarely seem to be able to, to get over that hump, and especially in a year like this where this may not be peak Ohio State, but certainly a really good Ohio State team. You know, it's a it's a tough that's a tough win to 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 get done. So you and I uh, had this conversation where like the last three weeks of the season, Michigan has, you know, both those games. Sandwich in the middle, they have Maryland. Like uh, I don't know. <laughs> careful. Ever, if there was ever a a trap game. That is it. Bruce, uh, my uh, my esteemed co-host and I, Ari Wasserman, we talked about on the show Saturday night. We wrote a column about it Monday on the most disappointing teams in the country. There was a relatively spirited debate about number one. When you look at the teams that have disappointed you personally, Bruce, that you wake up in the morning and you say, I can't believe these guys. Um, and you just want to write them a strongly worded letter. Uh, who are the most disappointing teams to you so far this Who's season? Who's in the middle your, of the dartboard here? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, for me, I guess I am really surprised at how bad LSU's defense has been. Mm -hmm. uh, they got shelled by Florida State. I think Florida State's really good. But at one point, I think they were getting outscored 31 to nothing um, in the second half. Yeah. And then, you know, to lose the way they did, um, I don't know. I'm... Like they 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 got a they you know they're fortunate they didn't get a third loss. Um, they're a team I thought was going to be a playoff. And here's here's the other thing on it is Bruce, we, you thought they're going to be a playoff team? Whoa, yeah, easy. I mean, All right, keep easy. going. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, that defense 128th in stop right now, worst yes. in, worst in the country yeah. among Power Five. And they all, by the way, LSU almost lost to Arkansas and Mizzou. They and survived. By the way, they have a guy on their they have a guy on their team who is has been in my Heisman top three because I think he's doing Superman stuff. Yeah. You know, like I think I come away raving about him, uh, you know, every and I watch them and I'm just like, man, he's so good. He's playing so well. Um, you know, when I look at 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 
and this is not a great, you know, a great answer, like, but, um, you know, the first thought that popped into my head was man, like Michigan state just imploded all over the place. And there's, I, I think that fits in its own separate, you know, yeah. category of, mm-hmm. and I did not see that coming. They don't look like a functional football team right now. It's just like, no, well, it's, they're, they're, it feels watchable. like they're like, let's get it over with sort of. Yeah. Situation. And, and like, it's so, it's so, you know, so multi-layered of bad. Um, you know, I, I'm sure there's a few programs. I, I mean, Max, this is going to hurt, but I'm going to have to say it. I've been holding off. <laughs> I thought Texas Tech was going to be a lot better than it has been. I know you are mm. like property in mm. Lubbock. But I mean, I've been had him winning the Big 12. Um, so it's still really alive, weird. still alive. Just for the record, still alive. Math is tricky. Because <laughs> I, I, I thought they were, you know, like I thought they were going to be a top 15 kind of team. They were Me my too. version yeah. of TCU. Theirs feels a little more like if LSU has been like doing actively bad stuff, Texas Tech stuff feels more unlucky than actively bad, but it has been surprising. Yeah, that they should. You see flashes of it. This is the same team that was up 17, nothing against Wyoming in Laramie and was up uh, multiple times in a back and forth game at Oregon. Certainly could have beat Oregon. It's just, you know, it's it is what it is. And then you go out there and. Uh, you lose to West Virginia, who I don't think people know how good West Virginia is. I'm still kind of like side eyeing them. Like I don't know. Yeah, you made that clear. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but we'll, Listen, you know, we'll see. Houston compared to what Stu thinks. <laughs> I mean, Neil Brown in the same room. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, I just didn't expect much out of them, and they keep beating teams. So well, hey, you can read more about West Virginia on the Athletic this week. That story's coming. Shout out to Neil Brown and Max Olson. <laughs> <laughs> who did Ari say is the biggest disappointment? Uh, I think we both agreed it was LSU, but uh, there were some. There was a heated case by one of our editors for Notre Dame, which I think hmm. is an interesting. It's an interesting pick. I will listen to the case, but I think maybe just because LSU was my national championship pick, that uh, I didn't see this. I didn't see this coming. The, I, the worst part is I can't explain the defensive issues. I didn't expect this, and I and you watch them, and you're like. I know you guys miss on some transfers, you know, or you've, you've strung together a secondary from the transfers. The Greg Brooks situation has not helped you, but yeah. like, there's no reason you should be this bad. Your front seven should be dogs. Makai Wingo, Mason Smith, Harold Perkins. It has not worked. And that's funny take guys. Cause off of them. to, to, to connect all the dots here, we're talking, all these guys we're talking about are second year head coaches. Yeah. Or, or it's year two staffs here, basically. Right. Yeah. Oregon, yeah. Washington, LSU, USC, Texas tech, some of them are just further ahead than others. Can't all be yeah. Kirby smart. What can I say? <laughs> We're all playing chess and Max is playing chess. Or the other way around, I guess. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's tough. It's tough. <laughs> I'm, I'm playing solitaire and everybody's playing chess. Yep. Bruce, thank you so much for coming on. Enjoy South Bend. I hope that you uh, watch a heck of a game. I hope that you run into some stalkers potentially. I don't know. We'll see. I think you'll have a good time. There's still time. There's still time. <laughs> okay, guys. I appreciate it. It's always fun talking to you guys. Thanks. All right. Big thank you to Bruce Feldman for hopping on the show before he heads out to South Bend. We're not going to go to our interview with Mike Kuchar, the co-founder and senior research manager of XNO Labs. Uh, Mike has, has written a great piece on Washington's prolific offense and uh, really has dug in deep on the tape on the Huskies. This is a story of innovation and change. 
that is sponsored by Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Let's get into the conversation with Mike. Mike, you, you write great pieces for The Athletic, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad you you put spent the time to put this one together on the Huskies ahead of their game against Oregon. You've spent a lot of time studying Washington's uh, passing attack, number one in the country in pretty much all the metrics you can have for, for passing and scoring an offense. Uh, Mike, how do they do it? What's, I guess, more, and thanks for having me on, gentlemen. I appreciate it. But what's more astonishing is that they're doing it without any presence of a run game. Mm-hmm. So every team that they play, they are they know that they're not going to run the football and they're still not able to stop it. And you guys know the numbers. The numbers are off the charts. They're staggering. And I think the, the point of interest here is that they've been a lot more efficient than Tennessee was a year ago. Now, Tennessee was older age last year and with their offensive system. But how they do it is simple, quick air raid concepts. You know, Kalen DeBoer is grounded in the air raid. You know, he's he's everywhere he's been, he's had success. And uh, what I did in the piece is I just highlighted two basic foundational concepts, and they're called horizontal stretches and vertical stretches. And we could be as technical as you guys want. I'm a football coach by trade as well. But I just think that their receivers are so good at finding space and exploiting space. The concepts are not as innovative as the way in which those receivers run their routes. So I think we have to give credit to Jamarcus Shepard, their receiver coach who came over from Purdue. He's also the passing game coordinator. But when you turn on the film, gentlemen, it's amazing how open these receivers are using standard concepts in the air raid system. I think it was interesting, you know, the the air raid concept, you know, you, you trace that back to Hal Mummy, back to Mike Leach, but you don't see a lot of time spent with them. How does this offense and and its concepts and the things that it does relate to the traditional air raid that people think of when they think of that Hal Mummy offense, when they think of Mike Leach and the things that, that he infused into the sport? I think the difference is now tight ends are more of a factor in the system. And I think Washington does a great job of utilizing their tight ends. They don't have a lot of catches. You know, we all know about a Dunsey. I don't know if I'm saying his name correctly. We all know about McMillan. We all know about Polk. You know, those are the dudes in that system. But what the way he used the tight ends just to stretch the field and create these horizontal and vertical passing lanes, I think is a difference. Because when you think about the air raid system with, uh, you know, Mummy and Mike Leach, it's all like quick throws, getting the ball out. But um, the downfield shots that they take risks on at Washington are tremendous. And the way in which he's converting them are off the charts. You know, we're, we're just talking about simple. I, I went back and to study the film and I studied all their games this year, simple post concepts, you know, and how they run their post and they break, you know, how they break open to space. And, and, and the one thing I was surprised with defensively is that how many teams play them in single high defense, meaning one high safety. You mm-hmm. think you play an air raid team, you're going to have two safeties at, fit, you know, 15 to 20 yards. I think Tulsa was the only team that played him that way so far this year. You know, Michigan State played him in one high. You know, Boise State played him in one high. I just, I think Oregon will have a different package for them this week. But just how they exploit space is is different in terms of the route, I guess, uh, technique. You know, and from a coach speak, it's like, uh, it's called route tech. And I think it's different than most air raid systems. They're just, they're attacking space where they get it. But when people hear, you know, vertical stretches, obviously they think go balls and certainly uh, Michael Penix, his touch on that ever since he he got to Seattle has been phenomenal. Um, it's been awesome to see him, you know, stay healthy and really take his game. to know. When you talk about horizontal stretches, what does that often look like for Washington in terms of creating that space? It's basically generated on post concepts, corner concepts, and what I call cop, which is corner post concepts. And what they're doing it, they're doing it with their inside receivers more than anybody else. 
you know, whether McMillan was in there, whether Polk is in there, they find a way to manipulate those two high safety structures. And if they're, if they're getting single high, single safety defense, that slot receiver is basically taking his vertical stem to 10 to 12 yards and reading the reaction at high safety. So as he's making his break to the post route, if that high safety closes space on the post, he's turned that into a corner, which is, I call a cop and, and Penix knows it. So he's essentially reading the reaction of that high safety. So he's throwing off that. And then what they're doing now is that any two high safety defense, which is interesting to me when they play Tulsa, they will line in trips formations. They'll run a double post concept. And then that third receiver will read the reaction of the nearest high safety. Mm. As high safeties go with the double post concept, it's almost becomes what coaches call a sail route or a drop out out. And again, Penix knows that he's reading the reaction of the safety. And one thing I think we have to mention, fellas, is the offensive line has been phenomenal. You know, I think they let up, I think the number is three sacks all year on 178 throwing attempts or something crazy like that. And uh, I, I had a couple coaches tell me that played them this year that they threw everything they could at Penix and the, the harmony in which the offensive line picked it up. And I, I don't know if they're their first round draft picks. I don't know what they're, if they're going to be on any war rooms this year, but I think they, they were so good in picking pressure. And, and Michael Penix has the time to deliver those balls, you know, and I think and- that's the win. I think his arm talent has been pretty special to be able to make some throws to the field side that a lot of quarterbacks can't make that that give you a lot of freedom um, in in terms of what you want to run in terms of route concepts. Mike, you you, you mentioned the you, you mentioned the single high safety on seventy percent of snaps though. Um, as you're watching this, you're watching how how Washington creates space and, and moves well. I'm sure as a coach, you're also thinking um, what what are these teams doing in terms of trying to stop this? What do you think that Oregon and these teams ahead are going to try to do to combat this offense? Well, it's funny. I had one coach tell me during my reporting, um, he said that one of the receivers from Washington, they lined up in too high. And one of the receivers turned to their corner and said, damn, UMFers are deep at 15 yards. (laughs) 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 So I I guess they were not used to seeing that, you know, And, 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 and the coach told me, listen, I told these guys, you are staying at 15 until something takes you out of it because i mean the absence of the run game and everybody i think they're 102nd in the country and running the ball yeah. and one of their opponents knows it so yeah max to answer your question i was shocked as a coach to see how many single high safeties you know they saw this year and i think part of that is that they condensed their formations you know they have a little horizontal jet sweep element but i don't know if it's enough to scare them like what they did to michigan state they just really exploited them and to, to the point about his throwing arm, and, and that's one thing I saw, like those post routes, if it's a single safety, that post route is breaking at the heels, of the toes of the safety, and they will work it all the way across the field where Penix is delivering the ball between the numbers and the sideline. And I don't know how many people could do that, but he is able to do that. Just speaks to his arm talent. So yeah, I was surprised about the single high stuff. I don't anticipate Oregon. I think I did the numbers. Oregon's a 34% too high safety defense. Uh, I'm sure that that's what they'll align in, you know, this mm-hmm. week. Yeah, I, I was shocked at that. A little shocked mm-hmm. at that. I, I know, uh, you know, Kalen and, and Ryan Grubb haven't worked with, with Mike Leach, but I feel like their disdain for the running game, I feel like Mike would be smiling if he was still with us watching that as he's seen, <laughs> like, Lincoln and Dana do some different things. I feel like he would he would appreciate that. It, it looks like, you know, if they get Jalen McMillan back this week or whenever they do get him, what does that mean for this offense? What does it allow that offense to do? I just think it's another tool to distribute. You know, and I just think the versatility that he has in the slot and out wide and the, their route structures. I mean, uh, Coach Shepard talks about yards after catch. You know, he I think he grades those kids, those players on 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 technique grading yards after catch. 
So it, he's demanding it. And, and coaches always say, you know, if, if you're not teaching it, you're letting it happen. And mm -hmm. I think that's what he brings to the table as a coach where he is forcing them to make plays in space. And it's not just about catching the ball. It's about what are you getting after catch? And McMillan has shown that ability to do that in, in every piece of every formation structure that he's been in. So from a defensive standpoint, now you got three tools to work with. And it, it's, you know, they've been doing it too the last couple of weeks. And now they're going to have three that knows the system, knows the foundation, knows how to get open. And uh, it, 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 I can imagine it being a nightmare for Oregon having to worry about him as well. Absolutely. Mike, great piece. Uh, everyone should check this out on The Athletic uh, this week. Um, ter terrific insight into this offense that just really is pretty, pretty unstoppable up to this point. Like you said, when you have the protection when you've got the t the talent, I mean, these guys inherited a great situation. Man, they've made it so much better there in Seattle. Yeah, and it, and it's clean. And when you watch the film, it's clean. I mean, you can see he's not he he knows where his read is. He's delivering the ball quickly, and uh, he's giving these players room to run in space. So I appreciate you guys having me on. It was a pleasure. All right, great stuff from Mike. Cannot wait to see what Washington's offense can do against Oregon, and and can Oregon figure out a way to stop this juggernaut. Thank you to everyone for tuning in to Until Saturday. Thank you to David Ubbin, of course, for filling in for Sam Khan. Hopefully uh, our, our boy Sam will be off injured reserve for next week. Be sure to follow the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts so you'll be notified when new episodes are posted. Hit that subscribe button on our YouTube channel and join us every Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday on our live streams. Subscribe to Until Saturday newsletter, and we will talk to you next week.